Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Well, church, um, if you want to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter one. That's right. We're in the New Testament uh, this morning, and we're taking a short break from our study through the Bible. Um, but I would say that everything we've studied up until this point has led us here. Uh, I think it's very appropriate that on this last sermon before Christmas, uh, there won't be much. There won't be a sermon at all, actually, on Christmas Eve. Um, that we're we're looking at the birth of Christ because throughout the entire Old Testament, we've looked towards the promise, the promise of God to restore the relationship between him and his people. And in the birth of Christ, we see the first act in the final chapter of that, of the fulfillment of that promise. And so uh, everything we've studied so far, we see these pictures of Christ we see it in Daniel, which we've been studying. We, we see it in his uh, faithfulness to even go into the lion's den without uttering a word in his own defense, much like Christ went to the cross without uttering a word in his defense. One life was spared, one lost, but all according to the will of God that we might be saved. And um, it's really hard to preach any Christmas sermon. It's really hard for me uh, to not be looking at the birth of Christ without it being a shadow of the cross being cast over the manger. It's, it's always there. It's always a reminder that Jesus was born but for one purpose, and that was to die for the sins of men. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it, it, uh, it's, a somber, it's a sober reminder of, of everything he did, leaving heaven to come to earth uh, and, and suffer and die for our, our sins. Uh, you know, Jesus was much more than another baby. I, I'm sure Jesus acted like a baby. I, you know, you look through all of the, the pictures and all of the art museums throughout Europe, and you always see baby Jesus with a little smile on his face and a halo over his head. But we have no indication in Scripture that, baby was some, that Jesus was some supernatural baby who never cried, who never filled diapers, who never did any of these things. Jesus came and subjected himself to the fullness of humanity, though he was God, being born of a woman, growing up, as a human baby, right? And so this idea where Jesus was always this docile, perfect baby is not really true, right? Babies have needs. They communicate those needs. He didn't come out of the womb talking. Uh, Mom, hello, hungry. You know, he didn't, you know, uh, he, he was a, a, a regular baby uh, in the, in, 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 uh, fit into his surroundings that way. But he's also very unique because this baby, this Jesus left heaven where he has been since the beginning of the beginning, right? I mean, he is eternal. He has always been. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And the Alpha left heaven and came to earth and was born of a woman. You think about that, right? You talk about getting out of your comfort zone. You talk about getting out of where you're comfortable. Here's Jesus in heaven where he is worshiped 24 hours a day, where he is on the throne, and he left all of that and became a human being baby and was born of a woman for, for, for us. He was really the first missionary uh, as he left 
his home as he left uh, his dwelling and he came to earth. The great I am, the great I am of the bush, the, the great I am who saved Daniel from the lions, the great I am who saved the three out of the fiery furnace, the great I am became flesh and blood. The song, Mary, Did You Know, I've been listening to that a lot this week, uh, actually, from all different versions. It's written by a guy named Mark Lowry, who actually is, I think, offers the worst performance of the song. He's a great guy, but, uh, I mean, pentatonics or whatever they are, they do a great rendition of it. Uh, just so many people, even even artists who aren't Christians, have picked up this song and just contemplating what Mary knew about the birth of of her son and and did you know that he would save you did you know that the baby that you're holding is the great i am that when you kiss his face you are kissing the face of god it's just an awesome awesome christmas song contemplating the birth of christ now today we're going to be looking in matthew chapter one and we're going to be looking at the birth of jesus through the the gospel of matthew the gospel of luke i think has a great recording of of the birth of jesus as well and maybe on christmas eve we'll look at that but today we're in matthew chapter one we're going to be reading verse 18 through 25 starting in verse 18 now the birth of jesus took place in this way When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, some interesting things about this story, and I, I, maybe I am just the only one who finds these quirky things in, the, in these biblical accounts, but can you imagine being Joseph? You know, you're pledged, I mean, this pledge to be married, this is an engagement, but I mean, it, later in Scripture, I mean, this is definitely deeper than, um, than we consider even engagement today, right? This is, to be betrothed is to be promised, to be, it's almost to be, it's, it's almost to be married. And here, Mary shows up pregnant. I mean, Joseph, I, I want to tell you that if this happened to me, I would also need an angel to show up and tell me that this was not the fruit of infidelity, that this pregnancy was uh, supernatural. I mean, I would need an encounter with God to convince me. And that's exactly what Joseph needed too, is he's contemplating how to divorce her, being wanting to, you know, respect Mary. I mean, he just shows you his heart. He, he does, he wants to divorce her quietly. He doesn't want to raise a fuss. He doesn't want her stoned to death. He just wants to divorce her quietly. But an angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Hey, wait a minute. This baby is of the Holy spirit. Mary has not been unfaithful to you. Now, maybe Joseph, maybe it would have taken two angels I, I, for me, right? But uh, Joseph receives this, and he, he, he moves forward with, with it. 
More about Joseph in the future. But I, I just think about putting myself in Joseph's place. Also Mary, right? You read about in the news these women who don't know they're pregnant, right? Until like the baby comes out. Or it's like eight months or something. They finally figured it out. I mean, what is going on in this woman's life that, that sh- how many burritos can somebody eat? I mean, you're putting on weight this fast. This baby bump is, you know, it's not, it's more than just a food baby. You know, at some point you got to figure this out. And here's Mary. She's pregnant with never knowing, she's never known a man. And she's pregnant. And that's kind of a bum deal really. I mean, she's got to be pregnant and go through nine months of that. She's never even had sex. Never, right? It's kind of a, it's a bum rap. And Joseph, Joseph, you know, obviously, now there's some that would contend that Mary and Joseph never had any other children. I, I say here, we see that it says, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. I, I think it's very obvious that Mary and Joseph had other children, Right? I mean, Joseph, he, was, he, he signed up already to be the adoptive father of Mary's spirit-born child. Okay? He did not sign up for a life of abstinence. Okay? He didn't sign up for that. He wanted to marry. He, you know, he, he was pledged to be married to Mary, and they had other sons. They had, jo- they had James. They had Jude. They may have daughters as well, but uh, they went on to have a, a, a broader family. So I think there's three points. Of course, there's three points because that's always the case. But I, there's three things I want to focus on in this story. The first point I want to bring out is that Jesus was born to suffer. Now, remember, we have pictures of what heaven looks like through many of the prophets. You know, streets paved with gold, gates of pearl, just beauty, just absolute beauty, absolute peace. We, we must remember that Jesus left all of that to become a human being. And, and, and if that was all he did, that's suffering, comparatively speaking, wouldn't you say? That that is suffering. And Jesus came to suffer. He was a suffering servant. He was brought through a young unmarried woman who was pledged to be married. In this society, in this culture, Maybe Joseph had a visit from the angel, but we don't have any recordings of all the neighbors having visits from angels. We don't have recordings of all the, the family of Mary and Joseph. You know, here's this young woman's pregnant. That's all people know. And how do you get pregnant? We know what she's been doing, right? I mean, and you should, I'm sure the gossip ring was going around. Stacy and I ministered in a small town in southern Illinois for a while. There was 10,000 people. 10,000 people in what I call, I'm calling a small town. Maybe some of you grew up in even smaller towns. But even in this small town in Jerseyville, Illinois, everybody knew one another's business. Everybody. Can you imagine Mary, where Mary and Joseph were at and where they grew up and, where, and the talk that must have been going around about Mary and Joseph? But our sinless, our sinless Savior wasn't born of natural conception, but through a miraculous conception. The Holy Spirit put a seed in Mary, and this seed is Jesus. The miraculous conception is one of the foundational doctrines of the church. We can't just dismiss it. We can't say, well, if it, if it didn't happen, it doesn't make any difference. No, it makes a huge difference. Uh, 
the fact that Jesus was not conceived through natural means, but was conceived by the supernatural. This is huge, because if Jesus wasn't conceived by natural means, he would just be a human being, and he would not be the God-man we need. It would also make Mary uh, unvirtuous, to say, say the least, right? If he were a human born in sin and, and not God, then he could not have lived a sinless life. So, first of all, if he was conceived through natural means, he was just a human. If he was just a human, then he's not God. And if he's not God, he couldn't have lived a sinless life. And if he couldn't have lived a sinless life, then he couldn't have been our righteous substitute. And if he couldn't have been our righteous substitute, then we cannot be in right standing before God. Do you understand that this is a foundational doctrine of the church because if, it, if it's not true, then a lot of things come crumbling down behind it, including our very own salvation. Because Jesus had to be the unblemished Lamb of God and die upon a cross for our sins. Otherwise, we have no forgiveness of sins. Jesus also came, as I said earlier, about he came as the suffering servant. Isaiah records it as like this in 53 and 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his words, with his wounds, excuse me, we are healed. See, Jesus didn't come like the Jews expected him. The Jews were looking for somebody to free them from Roman occupation. They were looking for someone to reestablish Israel's military and political dominance over the region. But this is not how Jesus came. Jesus came as a baby, born to an unmarried woman in the most humble of circumstances. He didn't draw any attention to himself. Here is the Lord of lords and King of kings. If he wanted to come back triumphantly, exactly as the Jews expected him, he certainly could have. But he chose to come in very humble circumstances. Jesus did come to lead a revolution, make no mistake about it, but his revolution was focused on the greatest need of all humans of all time, that freedom from sin. He came to lead a revolution against sin and free his people from sin, the sin that separates us from God. He came to make right what we have made wrong. Amen. Second point, Jesus was born to save Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 7 and 14. Jesus' name, his very name means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. And this is what separates Christianity from all the false religions of the world. That our God doesn't bid us come up. He doesn't say, do better, earn it, you know, do more good works than bad works, as the Muslims would say, or, or you know, do this, this, and this, and some formulaic, you know, prayer system, and then you will earn your way to heaven. That's not what God does. Instead of God bidding us come up, Jesus came down. This is huge. And this is an abomination to the Muslim. This is, an, uh, uh, you know, to, to other false religions of the world. This is, this is uh, uh, just crazy blasphemy that God would lower himself and become like one of us. But that's exactly what Jesus did. God with us. Our minds can't even get around it. And so we don't even focus on it. But if we thought more about this, 
that our God, the creator of the universe, the God who created everything, the instruments of his death, he created them. Everything he created. The manger he was laid in, he created it. The father and mother he was born of, he created them. You think about it. Born as a baby, God with us. He became one of us. Everything he said he would do in the Old Testament, he did through his birth, through his life, and his death, and his resurrection. Every promise made has their, its fulfillment in Jesus. All through the Old Testament, we've been going through these stories of the unfaithful Israelites, us, the church, unfaithful. Jesus coming to rescue, you know, God continually rescuing them and restoring them, only for them to fail again. But him, but God promising that there is a final solution coming for the salvation of man. Fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus was born on Christmas Day, born to die for the sins of the world. He was born to save us. And one thing we can get from all this is that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. He has not forgotten us. It's thousands of years later, after the Israelites, after Egypt, after Noah, thousands and thousands of years, and God keeps his promise. So we should rejoice on Christmas. I know half of you are asleep. You're at the 9 o'clock service. Congratulations. But please, come awake, right? Get some dark espresso beans, right? Grind them up every morning, and before you come to church, be awake. Because today you should be excited. Christmas is a time to rejoice. It's time to deck the halls, roast the chestnuts, sing for joy, shake a snowman's hand, whatever you got to do, because you got to be happy, right? Maybe I need Jordan preaching this message. That guy is just happy, happy, happy. But God's promise to save his people has come on Christmas morning. This is why we celebrate. Because Jesus has come. The, we, we have, I, I can't even imagine being there that day to see the manifestation of the promise of God right in front of me in the form of a baby. I, I can't even imagine what that would have been like. But this little baby we read about in Matthew is the great I am who's come. He's come like Noah to gather us onto himself. He's come like Moses to lead his people out of captivity. He's come like David to establish his reign. He's come like Elijah to beat back the enemy. And he's come like Isaiah to reveal the heart of God. Jesus is more than all of these men. He's, he, is, he has every single one of their gifts. He is the high priest. He is the high prophet. He is our savior, our king, and he came to do it once and for all. This miraculous conception and birth of Jesus, like I said, is the first scene of the final act of God's divine plan. It's not the final act of the divine plan, but it is definitely the first scene. The final act of our salvation will be when Jesus returns. And he takes up his church and he sets all things right. He puts Satan and our enemy where he belongs. And there will be peace on earth forevermore because of what Jesus has done. He makes it possible. And this baby, you know... We talk about baby Jesus and with the popularity of, of a film called Talladega Nights where, uh, you know, Will Ferrell's character is praying to little six, eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus. We, we, we laugh at that and, we, and it is funny, but the truth is Jesus is, he's not a baby anymore and Jesus isn't on a cross anymore and Jesus is not that suffering servant anymore this picture of Jesus that we see, you know, this, these representations that we see of Jesus in art and, and as much as they try to, even good art tries to glorify 
Jesus. Where he is now and, and who he is now is the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's at the right hand of the Father, and his majesty has been restored. And, and uh, that's who we pray to. That's who we worship, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Uh, so while we laugh at this little six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus, that's not who he is anymore. He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. And when he returns, it won't be as a baby. It'll be as our conquering king. Somebody say amen. And that brings me to my last point, that Jesus was born to reign. Born to reign. Herod knew this. If we read on in Matthew, we see that Herod was so threatened by the, the future reign of, of Christ that once the wise men had fooled him, he sent to Bethlehem and had every baby born within the last two years murdered in an attempt to kill baby Jesus. But the, the angel of the Lord had come to Joseph and spoke to him and said, take your family and go to Egypt and flee from because Herod wants to kill the baby. So God, God's provision, his plan is, is there all along. God, Jesus would die, but not until the exact moment God had foreordained. Since the beginning of time, this is also blows my mind, this idea of Christmas. It's not a surprise to God, but even from before he created us, he, he knew all of these things would take place. He knew that every single step of this would happen. And so Herod, just so threatened by this. Actually, it doesn't just say Herod, it says all the people, actually, were very disturbed by this, this king born in Bethlehem. Galatians 4 Four says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And if a son, then heir through God. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. He's always been God. But Jesus, on that Christmas morning, added to his divinity humanity. But he is still fully God, make no mistake about it. But he is a God who has subjected himself to the creator becoming the creation. He understands what it feels like to be sick. He understands what it feels like to mourn the loss of a friend. You know, he's at the tomb of G at Lazarus in the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He knows what it's like to feel pain. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be stepped on. He, he knows what it's like to be tempted because he became one of us. We worship Jesus as Lord. Amen? Jesus as Lord. He's no less divine as a result of his humanity. He is fully God and he is fully man. This is a huge mystery to us. How can you be fully God and be fully man? How is this possible? We think of Jesus when he was resurrected. Jesus was not a ghost when he was resurrected. Thomas shows us this. He put his hand in his side. He put his finger in his side. He, put his, he touched the wounds in his hands. Jesus is resurrected and at the right hand of the Father today again he is flesh. He is risen. Not his spirit, but Jesus has risen. He is added to his divinity, humanity. This is why he's our royal priest, our high priest, making intercession. Who better, right? 
You know, there's a certain amount of credibility that goes from pastoring a primarily military church as far as from the pulpit, right? Like the fact that I'm a veteran, I understand I understand where a lot of you are at. I understand where a lot of you have been, right? Though I'm not a combat veteran, so I don't understand that part of it. And so I don't really have a lot of cred with that. And so very rarely does a combat vet come to me with combat vet-related problems because I just don't have that understanding. I don't know that. And I, I freely admit that. I don't know what it's like to have shell shock or TBI I, or, or to, to see a friend die in combat. I don't know what that's like. And so maybe I, 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 I'm not the best person to talk to about that. It's possible, right? I can help you with some spiritual things. I can certainly pray for you, and I, I certainly like to know that. But, you know, maybe you, you, there's a, you need to talk to somebody who's, who's made it through that experience, right? Now think about Jesus. Jesus has made it through all of the experiences that we've seen, right, that we could ever know. Jesus has come through all of that. He knows exactly. So when we're talking to Jesus, when we're praying, we're not talking to somebody who doesn't know what we're talking about, to somebody who's never experienced. We're talking to Jesus, fully God, fully man, who's experienced everything that you're experiencing. There's nothing that you're going through that he hasn't already gone through, and he has a completely understanding heart towards your circumstances. I think that's, that's, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. That's our God. That's our King. He knows what it's like to be one of us. I think it's also interesting that the Bible records that we are no longer slaves. And I almost put, we're no longer slaves, now we're subjects of the King. But he doesn't even say that. He doesn't say we're subjects of the King, even though, I mean, that would be our rightful place, right? To be ruled over. To, to be ruled over by our Lord of Lords and King of Kings. That's our place. He's our, but he doesn't call us subjects. He calls us friends. He calls us sons and daughters. That's, that's amazing. That the Holy Family extends beyond Joseph and Mary. And even Jesus' brothers. But Jesus on the cross said, look, behold your brother. Look, look, I mean, look at your son, look at your mother. He's, look, he's talking to the people at the feet of the cross, and he's saying, you are the family of God now. You are the family of God. And this holy family, which is referred to many times in my old tradition of the Catholic Church growing up, the holy family. So I think every single town has a holy family Catholic Church, right? And that's the church that our family went to for a long time, holy family. And it's Mary and Joseph and Jesus. That's who we think of the holy family. But that's not it. The Holy Family is all of us. All of us are sons and daughters. All of us are princes and princesses. All of us have a rightful place next to Jesus. Not equal to, but next to Jesus because he has made that possible. We are righteous under the blood. We are the Holy Family of God. And we often don't think of ourselves this way. Because we know ourselves, that's the problem. We can't get beyond who we know we are. But, and I've said this for many times, many weeks now, and I just feel like the Lord keeps impressing it upon my heart, is that, church, in order for us to reach our potential for Christ, we have to start looking at ourselves as Jesus sees us, right? And we have to start taking ownership of who we are in Christ Jesus. We are saved. We're not, we're not... Yes, we're being saved. Yes, that's true, right? I mean, we are also in the process of sanctification, but the work of the cross is finished. He calls us sons and daughters of the king. I, I th that's awesome. Sometimes I get 
kind of a bad rap around Christmas uh, for being a Grinch. It ter- I'm really not a Grinch. I really do enjoy Christmas. I enjoy I enjoy the traditions of Christmas. Uh, however, I. I do get frustrated also at Christmas because I grew up in a secular home who celebrated my mother to this day celebrates Christmas like crazy. I mean she's just Christmas crazy. But my my mother would not identify herself as a Christian or as a believer. And maybe that has made me somewhat cynical towards Christmas because now Christmas means Jesus to me. And the disproportionate, disproportional amount of time spent on presents and Santa and cookies, which I, I enjoy all these things, right? It frustrates me as a Christian because it's more than just, you know, remember the reason for the season. It's, it's, the, it's Jesus being born and our hope taking on flesh and blood. And we need to celebrate Christmas for what it is, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we give gifts and when we drink eggnog and when we eat Christmas cookies and we teach our kids traditions that have been passed down to us, we need to do it all. But we need to do it all in Christ Jesus. We need to make sure that he is the focus for everything. I had a family in the church one time. They had a tradition I just love, and I don't have kids. But if I did, I would pass this on to them They're, because it's both practical and spiritual. You know, we I, I talked about gifts and what's on the girls' list, and they had like four girls, and they were like 23 years old, and they had four girls already, and and they're like, I'm like, what do you guys do? And they're like, well, each each girl gets three gifts, because that's what Jesus got, so they don't get more than Jesus, so they get three gifts, and and they tie it in, they tie it all into the Christmas story. Now I, I'm not saying that because if you get your kids more than three gifts, that, whatever. I'm just saying I thought this was a unique way to tie in the Christmas story to everything they do, including the gift-giving portion. Some of you are thinking, right now, I love this. <laughs> I am adopting this tomorrow, right? I'm going to return some things. <laughs> now, to the students in the room, the young people, you might think, oh, well, Pastor Matt, I don't like you anymore. I didn't say they had to be three small gifts, okay? They can be three huge gifts, okay? But whatever. I just thought it was an interesting thing that everything we do around the Christmas season should be tied around Jesus. And I don't mean artificially, but genuinely. Jesus came as a baby to save us from our sins. And uh, we can't look at the manger without in the distance at least seeing the cross. Why we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate the birth of our Lord, we must remember why he was born and why he came to earth. The challenge this morning, uh, it's, not a, it's not a hard challenge. It's not a difficult challenge. It's not a get, out, get up out of your seat and change your life challenge. It's a challenge to remember Jesus in this season. It's a challenge to exalt Jesus during Christmas, and some of you are first-generation Christians, and you are raising second-generation Christians. The traditions that we grew up with don't always reflect Christ as they should, so introduce some new traditions into your family, some new things that help that second generation of Christian grow up to honor Christ during Christmas. Not throwing the old away, but adding to that, or maybe throwing some of those old things away, um, but adding and um, 
embellishing those traditions with Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.